Hi, I'm Susan Foch, and when I was 18 years old, I launched a national nonprofit organization out of my freshman college dorm room. Now, with almost a decade of experience under my belt, I'm here to teach you my tried and true tips and tricks for running your own nonprofit or social enterprise and how to build it from the ground up. You're listening to this podcast because you're ready to make a difference in this world. I see you, I hear you, and I'm ready to help you. Now let's make an impact together. You're listening to the Make an Impact Podcast, episode 32, and I am so excited for this episode, you guys. If you are new to the show, the Make an Impact Podcast is all about nonprofit people and social entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurship, and basically any type of business or human being that is doing good in the world, the impact makers of the world, which means that we talk a lot about money, but it's usually been about like fundraising money or, you know, some different things behind the scenes of your business, which we haven't gotten into a whole lot yet, um, but is coming from the business perspective. But we talk about it a lot with, with nonprofit money, but hardly ever do we talk about it in relation to your personal finances. And this has been a subject that has really lit a fire under me this entire past year. Obviously, pandemic living has heightened a money conversation for a lot of people and how we're handling job losses, how we're handling changes in careers and where we're living. And, you know, most people moved back home or they had to downsize their apartments. Um, It's been a really interesting time to see how people have been handling money. It wasn't necessarily my sought out quarantine activity. And quite frankly, I don't even remember how this all started. I don't remember how I found this Tony Robbins book that was called Money Master the Game which is a fantastic behemoth of a book, but a fantastic book that really broke down how the wealthy make money and keep making money and investing. And it has amazing interviews with all the top financial people in the world, basically. Um, And I was fascinated, but I also was so furious at how like back hidden all of this information was. And so Then I just started going down a rabbit hole of more books and podcasts and Instagram accounts that all talk about finances and just really getting this part of my life under control because I I definitely, growing up the way that I did in rural Wisconsin and with, you know, a low-income family, I was a first-generation college student. And when I say low-income family, I... I'm very lucky. I'm very blessed. My parents worked very hard. You know, I always had a roof over my head and food on the table. But, you know, we definitely were not a family that lived in any form of abundance. And so just being able to really take a completely different outlook and approach on money. I used to be a really big saving hoarder. Like if I if I got money, I'm a pretty frugal person as it is um, every now and then I'll you know I've learned to like buy something a little bit nicer if the quality is going to last a little bit longer but I have always been the person that would just dunk everything in my savings account and not want to touch it out of fear out of you know a scarcity mindset and so when I started learning about the fact that that's fine, but money just sitting in my savings account wasn't going to do anything for me long term. Whereas I thought it was this really smart decision. I was like, oh, this is how people actually build wealth. This is how people make money work for them. All of these crazy sayings that I had heard my whole life but never understood. Uh, reading all these books, these podcasts, everything just started to really unlock that key for me. And the problem was this made me furious because number one, this was so, this is so not like well-known information, which is crazy. Um, I mean, again, to quote the exact title of that Tony Robbins book, it's called Money Master the Game. Money is a game. The economy is a game. And it's kind of gross to be super honest, but It's a world that we live in and how we've, you know, the society and the entire world has lived in it for centuries. And there's not really a whole lot that I can do to change that. However, 
where I do get lit up and what I do want to radically change is number one, the fact that women are highly disproportionately (laughs) viewed financially. You know, women are still making 80 cents on the dollar to men, let alone if you are a woman of color. If you are just a person of, of color, of a different race, if you, you know, if you have any type of, you know, diversity, you're already put at this weird point of disadvantage when it comes to finances. And then taking it a step further, something that I've seen, which really upsets me, is the fact that nonprofit people and really, I think the impact makers of the world are also put at a high disadvantage, financially speaking, from our for-profit corporate friends, right? Like, you always hear the fact that like if you think of a nonprofit professional, a therapist, a teacher, a social worker, you just like default into understanding that those people do great, amazing work and serve other people and do hard stuff every single day, but also kind of get paid like shit. And we just accept it for some reason. But Someone else can go sit in a really high, crazy cubicle and not really put any good into the world and not be moving society forward and make a fat paycheck. And for some reason, we've just like accepted this, which is so crazy about the way that we not just view money, but the way that we view how how certain professions are paid and what is socially acceptable or not. And it drives me crazy. And truly like a hill that I will die on is the fact that we need to radically look at the way that we pay nonprofit people and again, other impact makers in the world, teachers, social workers, therapists. There's more of you out there. Those are just like three that are really easy to think of off the top of my head. It's it's crazy. The way that we look at this societally needs to change. It is something that in this past year, I think is really like I've adopted as my personal like mission that I've just gotten really fired up about. And one of the keys to solving this problem, aside from just making other people understand that a nonprofit person who wants to make a higher salary to give their family a better life is not a monster. Um, It's teaching those people how to make the most out of their smaller paychecks. So that's where this whole investing idea really comes in. And this is where I found a couple of months ago the app called Public. And I became obsessed with it because, first of all, it is so easy to use. It's so easy to understand. And stock markets and finances are just inherently confusing. Uh, They were built to be confusing (laughs) and have these weird numbers and charts and things that like a normal human being would not understand how to look at. And so I love that it's just it's easy to understand. There's people who are having open and honest conversations about just their opinions on certain companies and and trends that they're seeing and what they think. But you can also buy a fraction of a stock. So you can start at a much lower price point than ever before. Like, you know, and Katie and I will talk about this at nauseum in the interview, but you can come in at a lower base. You don't have to sacrifice like a whole paycheck, you know, to try and just get your foot in the door somewhere. Like you can start really small and build up, which I think is a huge key again for people who are making smaller paychecks to understand that you can still start building a little bit of your wealth this way. And so I've become obsessed with it for months. I was so thrilled the day that Katie agreed to do this interview and talk more about the stock market and public and investing. Um, And they're also stick to the very end of this episode because there's a very special offer for all of you Make an Impact listeners um, to get some free money (laughs) towards your first stock on public. So if you like free money... And hi, this is all about business and nonprofits. Of course, you like free money. Uh, Who wouldn't stick to the very end to figure out how you can get your first $10 towards a public stock? And you know what I'm going to say next. If you would like to repay me for your new free $10 towards your first stock and heading into the investment world and finances, um, you could leave me a review like a five-star rating and a review. Uh, The words mean so much. The five stars is great. But if you leave like an actual review, it means so, so much in the podcasting world. Um, That's how you can repay me. That's how you can thank me for your free money. Thanks to public. So just going to shamelessly plug that one in. (laughs) 
And now without further ado, I get to introduce Katy Perry, who is the VP of Marketing for Public.com, this incredible app. Um, She is going to drop a lot of wisdom and a lot of incredible tips and tricks and just letting you understand how you should be investing as a millennial, as a nonprofit professional, as a woman, as literally any demographic that you could think of. Pick one we talk about it. So Katie, thank you again so much for being on. This is a really exciting interview for me to be doing. So I can't tell you how jazzed I am that you're here. Please introduce yourself. Let people know a little bit about you and how you got to be where you are today. Well, thanks, Susan, for having me on. I love talking about these topics. Really excited. My name is Katie Perry. I'm the VP of Marketing uh, for Public.com. Public.com is an investing social network. So think of it as one part trading, investing app, one part uh, social app where you can engage in a community of other investors, discuss business trends, and do it in a very accessible human way. Um, So I I joined the company November 2019, just really believed in the mission and really loved the product. Um, Prior to that, I worked in marketing roles at various startups. I've worked at ad agencies. I actually uh, majored in journalism in college, and that's what I always wanted to do. So I've always had a passion for storytelling. And um, yeah, it's been a really interesting journey to public. My background isn't in financial services. I'm sort of an outsider. Um, and I see that as an advantage for what we're trying to do at public, which is change the culture of the stock market, make it more accessible, make it more relatable. And sometimes I think having that outside perspective is really helpful. So really excited to be here and, and dive deeper into what we're building at public. Yeah, absolutely. I am so excited. Also, just quick, like, interjection. How many jokes do you get about your name on Uh, a daily basis? (laughs) So many, but you know what? I really like Katy Perry. I think she's kind of baller. Like, she had a baby and dropped an album the same day this year. She's built this empire. Like, what can't she do? So honestly, if I have to share a name with anyone, it's good. (laughs) Um, but yeah, lots of jokes, but a good icebreaker, you know, when you're first talking to someone, it's just something to talk about. So, oh, for sure. Um, Yeah. That is a very good built-in icebreaker. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) All right. So obviously we have a lot of goals for today's interview and I'm so excited to have you on. So first I think I see our interview kind of going in two areas. Number one, just a general conversation about investing and then also of course public specific questions but you know i feel uh, personally obviously women have always traditionally been at a disadvantage in investing um, but also taking it a step further this podcast is really centered around social entrepreneurs and business but nonprofits and i've always felt like nonprofit professionals male or female are also set backwards kind of in the investing world just because mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of the same resources as our for-profit friends and we also have traditionally lower salaries and wages than our Mm -hmm. for-profit friends. So I think it keeps a lot of uh, nonprofit professionals lower. And so, and it's something that's like my pet peeve would love to change. And so that's where some of these uh, general questions kind of come from. So can you first discuss the differences between male and female investors, some of their habits and why women have actually not just been at a disadvantage, but have had some traditionally, I think, better investment decisions or savvier decisions. So can you speak to that a little bit? Well, you're absolutely right. Uh, Studies show that women invest 40% less than men. So there's a lot of conversations, obviously, about the wage gap. Women earning 80% to the dollar compared to men. Um, But when you talk about investing, that all just uh, extrapolates to a higher degree. Um, And other studies have shown that that can lead to over a million dollars in the difference over someone's lifetime due to compounding interest when women are just consistently investing less or investing later. So the investing gap to me is even more dramatic than the wage gap and and not talked about as much. And I think with all kind of disparities in investing and finance overall, there's kind of two factors in play. One are economic barriers to entry. Certain groups and communities of people um, are at an economic disadvantage historically, which leads into that. And then there's the psychological barrier to entry of that culture of investing in Wall Street being historically very white male dominated over the years. And there's this feeling that, you know, if you're in a community that's not that historical group, it, it feels out of reach for you. It doesn't feel like it's for you. Um, so I can even remember growing up and seeing 
commercials on TV for banking products or investing services. And the people in those ads didn't look like me. They were usually people that look like my dad or my uncle. And um, if you think about over time, that reinforcing message, um, it does play a role. People feel like this is not something for them. Um, so there's kind of two ways that uh, technology and companies like ours are really taking this head on. On the economic barrier to entry side, um, something called fractional investing, which is relatively new, um, has changed that a lot. So fractional investing means that you can buy a piece of a, of a stock of a company. So almost like an, uh, an Uber pool. Um, Amazon is a very high flying stock. This is not investment advice, but a lot of people uh, recognize that that company is very doing very well um, and they want to invest in Amazon. Uh, one share of Amazon stock is $3,000. So in the past, without fractional investing, you had to have three grand in your bank account to buy one share of Amazon to even get a piece of that action. Uh, with fractional, you can say, I have $10 to invest. I want to get started. And you can buy the percentage of a share of Amazon that $10 equates to. Um, and so that allows people, even if they don't have a ton of wealth yet, to have that hands-on experience in the stock market, really educate themselves and build on a, a more gradual basis. Um, in the past, there were also things like account minimums. You had to have a certain amount of money to even start, or you had to pay a manager. So technology is really shaking that all up. It's great. The other side of it, though, is the psychological piece, feeling like this is just something that is out of reach, too complex. Um, you know, you have to have a degree in finance to understand. Um, and, you know, the whole history of the stock market has been kind of built around exclusivity, smoke-filled rooms, certain people are in the know and certain people aren't. And that's the piece we're really passionate about breaking through at public, um, kind of showing people that you can be an outsider to this world and participate. And that's really important, if not equally important to the economic piece to give people more exposure. Um, so to your point, again, on women, um, there, we did a study earlier this year and, and kind of found some other trends. Um, one was that women were likely to learn about investing later than men. Um, so they were at an older age, which meant that when you think about compound interest, experts will say the earlier that you start, the, the more that snowball is building. Um, so starting later and learning later is a disadvantage. The second, which I think is really interesting and, and not talked about as much, is that women are less likely to discuss their finances with their friends. So when you think about just when you share ideas and collaborate on things with your friends, that is an advantage to have those conversations. So we're really passionate about more women having these conversations and to the degree that men are um, to have that same kind of uh, exchange of ideas that will benefit them. Um, so one thing we're super proud of is our community is 40% women. So we want that to be 50. We want it to be higher, but Again, just breaking through those stereotypes and making this all way more accessible to more people. Absolutely. And I feel everything you just said on a really like intense level. Um, you know, personally, like I was raised in a low income household. I was a first generation college student. Like, you know, and it's not taught in school. And but like my parents also don't invest, never yeah. invested. So it's like, you know, you're not learning that at home. You're not going to learn that at school. And so it just keeps everything at that baseline. And it's very funny. I found a gold sheet for myself in like 2019, I want to say. Uh, and, I, and I literally wrote to myself, I was like, figure out how to buy an Amazon stock, which at the time I wrote down was like $1,500. So uh, I was like, okay, now you have to like figure out how to get this like $1,500 to like buy this one stock. So when yeah. I learned about fractional investing with you guys, my mind was blown. Um, but so I feel everything you just said on a really yeah. intense level. Um, but to that, I'm going to snowball on that a little bit. I also was re recently listening to a podcast that said, and I have not fact checked this, but it said something that like millennials were only responsible for holding like 3% of the stock market. And I think millennials too, I mean, we have such a complicated relationship with money just be where, you know, between <laughs> like all of our economic downfalls and the amount of debt that we have. Um, so can you talk about that a little bit as well? Just like beyond gender or race, just this weird chunk of millennials that we sit in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, to your point about kind of self-directed learning, mm -hmm. the majority of people teach themselves this mm -hmm. stuff. So you're, this is the common, this is kind of the common trend. 
-hmm. and especially millennials and Gen Z, I think these are uh, cohorts of people that have been burdened by uh, student loan debt like no other generation. They've lived through or came of age during the recession in 2008 and 2009. Um, a lot of just like weights on them financially. And because of that challenge, I think these are, these are groups of people that on the positive are really taking the steps to take control of their financial wellness in a very proactive way. Um, and that is so great to see. And some of these trends are kind of uh, playing out um, in, in apps like ours. So in our study, we saw that younger investors were way more likely to be transparent with their investing and talk about this stuff with their peers than older generations. And it's almost kind of like this survival thing where we're having to figure it out in a way that our parents did not. Um, and there was other trends in financial transparency that you see among these groups. I remember reading articles a few years ago when you know, the debate of should colleagues share their salary information. But these are groups of people that are realizing that getting, getting information and ideas out in the open and being more collaborative about this stuff versus competitive is an advantage. Mm -hmm. um, so we have a lot of young people in our community, obviously. Um, they do say they're more likely to invest in companies that align with their values. They're really peeling back the layers of where they're investing and do they feel good about it? Mm -hmm. um, I, I was always told to max out my 401k and that's what I did the first five, six years of my career. And then only when I was that far along, did I look and be like, what is actually in these funds? Um, and that's what millennials are doing. They're, they're researching. They're saying, am I investing in, you know, if you, am I in action, am I investing in a gun manufacturer or am I investing in, you know, companies that, you know, maybe personally don't align with who I am. And that'll be different for every person, but people are taking the steps to kind of see, okay, are these companies that I'm investing in actually aligned with who I am? And that's a big kind of shift as well. Um, but I think just the big trend is the self-directed entrepreneurial take on finances. And, and the other piece too that I, I just love seeing now is among young people is learning about finance, learning about businesses is, is a cool thing to do now. It is, it is fundamentally cool. So not only is it smart and helpful, it is mainstream. Entrepreneurs are kind of like the new rock stars. We work with so many communities of college students and these communities did not exist when I was in college. Like if I, the investing club was a very niche thing and now you're seeing just this mainstream uh, attraction to it, which is, I think, amazing. So really inspired to see kind of the incoming generations, how they're taking this stuff on, despite living through very kind of tumultuous times and having, you know, a lot of debt as a group. For sure. I think it's funny that you say that because I, I agree and I see people trying to like make investing cool. And it's almost like I think of how like Starbucks kind of made like drinking coffee cool or like hanging in a yeah. coffee shop cool. Now we can't think about <laughs> going without it. So um, I yeah. think it's, I think it's awesome what you guys are doing and just trying to make it this like less scary, less, but uh, less, um, you know, lock and key kind of information. And, and we'll talk about public specifically very shortly, but yeah, I like being able to also kind of like look up companies and see what other people are talking about if other people are investing in it, because it makes me feel like a little bit more secure in my decision. Um, I want to backtrack to just one thing you said, though, about, you know, that you were always taught to like max out your 401k. Obviously, a lot of people, I think, at least in some of the, the conversations I've heard, um, have either like delayed starting their 401k because they felt like they couldn't wrestle away like that little bit from their paycheck yeah. or two. Um, yeah, it just seems like the idea of throwing something in your 401k and you're like, I get it. It's retirement. And it just seems like it's over here, like really yeah. far away. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's like, you don't really dive in and see like, well, what is my 401k actually doing? Where is it yeah. going? So I think that that's interesting. Um, and in a very general aspect, because I know that there's no investment advice or, um, you know, financial advising here, but so would experts recommend investing in other things other than just your 401k? Yeah. So like you said, not a financial advisor, but if you 99% of experts will talk about diversification and why that's important across your investment strategy. So I think it all kind of goes back to, you know, people when they're first getting started, they'll always say, okay, what do I buy? What do I do? They jump right to like the end 
transaction. Um, when really the starting point that experts recommend is looking at what is your goal? What are you actually saving for? Do you want to retire by a certain age? Are you, is it a more midterm strategy where maybe you want to buy a property in a few years? But you kind of need to start with the, the why, what's driving you to want to do this, uh, aside from just general uh, financial security. And then from there, there's other kind of questions to ask yourself, um, you know, do you have a safety net already? Of savings built up? What is your, do you have any high interest debt? Um, looking at those factors and then also assessing just you personally, how, how well you accept and manage risk. Different kind of investments have different risk profiles. So understanding what you're comfortable with, what you, what kinds of risks you can take on. All those things are kind of things to ask yourself in workshop before you get to what do I buy on the stock market? Um, and there's so many great resources and experts out there and worksheets. And I think the end of the day, the big headline is it's very personal finance is very personal. Um, it will be different for every person. If you Google, how do I invest? Most of those articles will tell you the same thing. It's, it depends on the person, where you're at in life, what you're trying to do, what, are, what kind of risk you can take on. So answering those questions, I think, is a great place for a lot of people to start if they're just kind of getting going in this space. Mm -hmm. And to that, I remember, I think it's like, again, the last two years, and I've only now figured out the answer to this question. Um, I kept Googling, like, for my retirement, I was like, am I on track with other like, yes, 24, 20, because I just kept wondering, I was like, am I behind? Am I doing okay? Um, yeah, yeah. And trying to Google that answer is like next to impossible, because it's so yeah. specific on the person. Um, I've so done the same thing. Oh my God. Yeah. It will. And yeah. especially when you don't know what's going on. And so you are trying to Google the answer and you can't yeah, find it. You want to, like, you want to know where you stand. It's the mm -hmm. most human, you know, I've, I've found a couple of calculators that are helpful, like against mm -hmm. the app. Am I, am I, cause it's hard. And like, like we were saying before, these are, these are not easy conversations with friends necessarily because it gets awkward very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what people want to know. You know, I'm doing this in a vacuum. And that's why I think a lot of people like public making decisions. Sometimes before I invest in something, I'll post and put it on my watch list and say, does anyone know anything about this company or space? I'm doing some mm -hmm. research. And you get a mix of opinions. You're never going to just follow because somebody says, yeah, go for it. But right. sometimes you just want to bounce some ideas like any other decision in life. So I, I totally relate to that. Yeah, for sure. So on that note, though, because I know you mentioned your watch list, let's talk about actually public. Um, so it is an app. It's an investing app. It's so super cool. Um, can you explain it? Give us an overview, but also like how it came to be. Sure. So yep, Public is a, an app, one part app where you can invest in individual stocks and ETFs fractionally. So just to break that down, the fractional is the slices of a full share, meaning you could build a little portfolio for $50 if you wanted to and have many companies reflected in it. An ETF is an exchange traded fund. It's just a basket of stocks that are thematically curated. So there could be a, a clean energy ETF, there's gaming ETFs, there's e-commerce ETFs. And those are great for beginners if you, you believe in a, a trend or like a movement within business, but maybe you don't know enough to pick the winner. But you know, generally, you know, if, if you look around the world right now and you see uh, Amazon trucks everywhere and you think, okay, e-commerce probably going to continue to grow. Maybe you might say, okay, I might want to get uh, an e-commerce ETF that has a blend of companies. It diversifies and those can be bought and sold just like stocks. So public that side, you can invest very easily from your phone in dollar amounts. So I want to buy $20 worth of XYZ company. I could do it in a few taps right on the phone. The second piece of that is you can share the why behind your investments. And that gets to the social piece. Um, kind of, it feels a little bit like a Venmo meets Twitter where people are discussing um, why they're investing, but also broader business topics and trends. There's threads on there uh, breaking down things like dollar cost averaging or capital gains tax. And you can have these broader conversations alongside the same place you're investing. Um, and I think the other kind of differentiator is 
uh, the culture that we're building in the community. Like I said, it's 40% women, it's 45% people of color. It is a very um, healthy, diverse mix of perspectives, which we think makes everybody smarter. Um, so the backstory on the company is we launched out of beta September 2019. Um, relatively new company, but growing like crazy. We grew 13x this year. Um, and the mission of the company is, like I said, to change the culture of the stock market, make it more educational and accessible for more people. Um, we were one of the first companies to do the fractional investing in real time. And, and right now we're really the only kind of brokerage app with all of these social features and, and a community around it, making it easier for you to discover and learn and build your confidence over time. So I joined last November it's been such an exciting time and I really believe in the mission and the product. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, we have a lot of stuff coming up this year that, that I'll be excited to share when it's ready. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do think the social component is fun because like you said, you're not just going to obviously like blindly follow what someone has to say, but it's cool when you can start to see trends or if someone, you know, sold a stock at a certain point and they kind of explain why it's not, necessarily the right answer, but at least you kind of see where other people's heads are at. Um, so can you quickly explain how, you know, this would be different than other investing apps? Like I know Robinhood is a really popular one. So how is this different from that? Yeah. Yeah. We're different in really three key ways. One, the difference in the culture in the community. A lot, our members will always say this is a different vibe. Mm -hmm. It sounds kind of like a, a very simple way to put it. It just feels different. Um, broader conversations, more people feel like they can jump in, have confidence sharing their opinions. So again, really important to just broadening the tent of who's investing. The second piece, the social features, very differentiated. Um, we were the first to do it. And that is really the glue that's, that's bringing that community together and making it all possible. The last is just the, the approach to investing overall. We have safety features built in the app designed for novices. We really, really believe that if you're going to democratize investing, there needs to be some guardrails and education built in. So new people coming in have the best experience they can as a, as a newcomer. Um, so an example of this would be in our app, there's actually safety labels on certain stocks that might be riskier, according to the SEC. So a micro cap stock, which is a, a smaller company that might be more volatile, prone to disruption. Um, those kinds of stocks or a company that just went bankrupt, but that is still trading another risky investment, according to the SEC on these we will have little flags. And before you invest, you actually need to swipe to acknowledge that you have the context um, before you make that investment. We'll never stop you from investing on in what you want to invest in. But we really think things like that are important as people get started, because maybe someone reads a comment on, an, on a thread on a message board takes it and runs with it and never gets that education around it. So that's really important. We also have a no day trading policy. Day trading is when you're flipping stops quickly within a short time frame. It's a very different investing approach than long-term investing. Um, and so that you cannot day trade on public. Um, you also don't have things like margins. Margins are where you're essentially investing with borrowed money. Um, that's something normally reserved for more experienced investors. Um, and, and right now, that's just not something we believe is the best fit for our community, who is 74% long-term investors and about 90% novice investors. Mm -hmm. Really quickly on that. So when people go into the app and you start buying your first couple of, you know, fractions of shares or shares of, of a company, um, you know, it, you can see it in your portfolio and you can drag it from your like regular portfolio into your long term. Yeah. Can you explain that? And also like, is there a difference in that? Like, does something happen when you drag it from your regular down to your long term? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. The long term portfolio is a place where you can place the investments that you know you want to hold for a long time. So over a year, but usually longer. Um, so companies that you believe in that will continue to grow over the long term, um, when you pull them there, what that basically triggers is in the app, if you go to sell any of that stuff, we'll remind you that you wanted to hold on to it. 
Hmm. Um, and the difference is like the way I have mine set up, for example, I have a bunch of stuff in the long-term portfolio and then I have some other stuff in the regular portfolio. The other stuff I might hold on to for a few months. They're more kind of like seasonal picks for me, but they're not necessarily companies that I want to own forever. And so it's just a good way to mentally parse out those two kind of approaches. And for most people, the regular portfolio is more like the midterm kind of things. Like maybe you hold it a few weeks, a few months, long-term, over a year. Um, those time periods sort of correlate, and I know we'll get into this, uh, capital gains and how long-term investments are taxed differently than short-term investments. And so just kind of mentally breaking that out, I think kind of helps people to just think through and parse out because there's sort of different, different ways to invest within one experience. For sure. So one thing you, you mentioned on in there, I'm going to bring back, um, let's talk about taxes and how stocks are taxed because I don't think a lot of people maybe have even heard the term capital gains tax. Yeah. Um, and I know that that changes after you hold on to it for a year or more. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, Can you explain that? Yes. So I'm not a tax expert. I will, uh, I'm not your accountant, but I can give you the, the lowdown. So capital gains are taxes on the growth and value of your investments. So gains or losses um, that you realize only when you sell a stock. So this is a big question people have. They're like, oh, the value of this stock I'm holding on to went up. Do I owe taxes? You don't pay taxes until you sell and actually realize that profit. Um, and dividends would count here too, because they're technically profits. So this is capital gains. If there's a, if you have more gains than losses, um, that is income that you as an individual are receiving. So there's tax obligations. Um, the, the IRS kind of parses this into two buckets. There's long-term capital gains and short-term. Long-term capital gains are the taxes you pay on um, the profits you make after you've held something and sold it longer than a year. And these, these typically have lower tax rates because they want to incentivize people for longer term investing. Short term capital gains are when you realize a profit um, for something you owned and sold for less than a year. And that is taxed as regular taxable income. So very likely at a much higher rate than long term capital gains. Um, so how this works is at the end of the year, you receive a summary of your tax obligation. Um, and that's basically your net capital gains, the value of all the profits of what you sold minus if you lost anything, that difference is what you owe. And the time frame of when you owe things dictates kind of the rate. Your brokerage will send you a year end account statement before tax season, which you then use each take that to your accountant or when you file on your own. Um, it's a 1099 form, which is basically the form for any income outside of wages. And you kind of build that in as a part of your, uh, of your tax obligation. So that's kind of how it works. There's lots of great resources and calculators. It is when you're new kind of complicated, but if you can mm -hmm. kind of break it down between the two. And like I said, your brokerage will send you a summary statement that, you know, you can take to TurboTax or your accountant, um, and all of that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting again, with the education, people get into investing and then realize later they owe taxes. Um, mm -hmm. So really important. To, I, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, so it's, it's definitely an important thing to track as you go. And there's certainly strategies that people employ for offsetting their capital gains and, and things like that, that you could really kind of nerd out over, but that's kind of the high level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like we could talk for hours just on taxes. Um, yeah. So, but I think that was a really helpful overview because I don't think, I mean, before I started any of this, I hadn't even heard of capital gains tax. So yeah. that was very helpful. You're um, not alone. Like, <laughs> like you said, they don't teach it in school. I really, I will die on that hill. I feel like this needs yep. to be taught. Absolutely. Um, it's just too important not to. Absolutely. So, and then one thing too, I want to go back. Um, Obviously, like I've gotten really excited about public. I've like sent the link, you know, to some friends and there was one who got really nervous about it. I don't think she is anymore, but with the yeah. social aspect, cause she, she said, and I would like you to, to kind of talk on this. She got nervous and was like, oh, she's like, well, doesn't that kind of sound like uh, insider trading, having people talk about all of these like stocks. And I was like, no, 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 it's not. Yeah. So can you yeah. kind of fix that one? Yeah. 
I believe insider trading is when you have information that's proprietary to you and your role within a company or knowledge you have from someone who works there that is not available to the public. Mm -hmm. um, that is illegal. That is like, I think what Martha Stewart got uh, <laughs> yes. for. Um, very different with people, people in public are discussing news and events that are public. Mm -hmm. the, there are things that are out there. Um, it, it's not, you know, people who are people who have insider knowledge, uh, giving tips. That's not, that's not what it is. Um, an interesting thing to bring up about our community though, is if, if you think about social platforms, a lot of the problems with disinformation, misinformation, uh, it, it's the anonymity and the, um, the fact that you really don't necessarily know a lot of times who's sharing things. Mm -hmm. uh, with public, since we're a social app built on a brokerage app, that means that every single person in our community is a verified human being because they have to set up a brokerage account with us, which requires by law identity verification. Um, and so a lot of people ask this, like, how do you stop people spreading things or you know, how do you stop people pumping stocks? We, we know who people are. We have very strict community guidelines. Um, and that is, like I said, not the vibe of the community. It's very collaborative. It's very um, open. But again, we, we know who everyone in our community is. And that, I think, is a really important factor when you talk about a, a finance app um, that has the social layer. It's really important to kind of have that piece there. Um, but yeah, very different. Insider trading is a mm -hmm. very, very different thing than just openly talking about, hey, I saw, uh, you know, retail sales were up 40%. How do we think this affects Etsy? That's a public conversation anyone can right. have. Well, and a fun one too. So thank you for that. But yeah, I like one, for example, that I like looking at is something like Beyond Meat. So, and again, not like investment advice, but yeah. I like watching that conversation because it's that plant-based meat. Um, you know, people have a lot of opinions about it, but it's all of their like personal opinions on plant-based protein yeah. versus like their competitors. It's not someone like from Beyond Meat saying like what's yeah. going to happen. <laughs> it's just exactly. people talking about their feelings about the future of meat yeah. consumption. So um, it is yeah. very, it's definitely very interesting. So um, I guess there's like two kind of last questions I want to ask you. Sure. Um, so number one, Something I see a lot in, again, like this new world, and I think this goes for like, you know, people holding longer things like index funds or, and I just saw it in a conversation on the app the other day, um, is this idea in the investing world that you can start small, but like consistency is key. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that and like why consistency is key with like your investments and keeping a portfolio? Yeah, I can speak to my personal opinion and not just financial advice. Mm -hmm. I think with consistency, you're building a habit and mm -hmm. habits endure. It's not a fad. It's not, you drop some money in and step away and maybe you don't do it. When you build a, a habit over time, that's how you kind of get positive behaviors to stick. So I think there's probably a, a financial expert who could speak to the math of the consistency over time and the math of starting early. I, I kind of go to the habit forming and just making this stuff a part of your everyday life. It doesn't have to dominate your life. It could be 10 minutes a week, an hour a week, um, consistency. And, and we kind of view consistency too as not necessarily consistently trading or investing. We kind of view it as consistently being engaged with your portfolio, following the news items that populate of the companies you invest in, engaging in conversations. Maybe you're in a chat group. Consistently just thinking about this stuff um, over time that builds a habit, it just becomes part of your everyday life. It doesn't become this scary thing. It doesn't become a burden. Um, I think that's, that's a really important piece. And an expert will probably tell you, yes, consistency over time economically is, is good as well. Gotcha. Um, to that, I had, so one thing I, I want you to kind of talk about that I really liked and it made me feel a lot more secure um, trying this out because again, first time, especially with anything yeah. money is really scary. Um, yeah. A little bit of the security of public and why people should feel kind of safe using it, but also, um, you know, the fact that even if you have just $10 to try to start something like that's still kind of a good idea. Even you don't have to have like thousands yeah. to get started with something. 
Yeah, so uh, can definitely speak to that. So Public is a, a venture-backed company. We've raised nearly $90 million to date from some of the original investors in Venmo, Will Smith, uh, JJ Watt, Sophia Amoroso, Scott Galloway. So a uh, legitimate company. Um, and we also, another piece of this is we, we have a really dedicated customer success team for member support and they're real human beings. Back in the day when we were in the office, I sat right next to them. They're great people. Uh, they're not bots. They're there all the time to help. If you have questions, concerns, you know, made a mistake, you, they're there for you. Um, beyond that level of support, we are a member of FINRA and SIPIC. SIPIC is the Security Investor Protection Cor Corporation. Um, and FINRA is the, the government body that regulates our industry. So those two things mean that FINRA means that we're fully compliant with the federal regulations around investing. SIPIC, that insurance means that each customer is protected up to half a million dollars in securities and $25,000 in cash. Um, so that insurance means that insurance is for if a brokerage company goes bankrupt, you're, you're invested up to those amounts for what the value you have in your account. Um, on the data side, people ask about data security a lot. Um, so we have a very sophisticated encryption system um, that is used by most modern technologies. It's, it's making sure that your information and your data is super secure. I think your kind of trepidation is very common, I think, with investing apps because a lot of people start and they don't kind of understand, well, why do you need my social security number? Why do you need this information? It's all legally required anytime you open any sort of retirement investing account. But for some reason, you know, on the phone, it, it's a little, get that little, oh, is this? Um, so all that information's on our website if you wanna really dig into the, the data security and everything else. But um, we kind of have, we have a very uh, secure system set up that makes it, you know, a safe place for people to invest. Mm -hmm, for sure. And then, um, yeah, a little bit on the fractional investing and why, like, you know, because again, it made me just feel better of, oh, like I can put $10 in and I can kind of play and I can like see what's going on. You know, it wasn't this yeah. like several thousand dollar, you know, foot in the door, which again, yeah. I think makes it seem a lot less scary and intimidating when it's because it's like you could spend ten dollars on like a really extravagant coffee right so it's like yeah. starting with it it was like okay I can I can get my foot in the door with like 10 bucks and like see what's going on the fr that that I think you hit on it like the fractional piece is anyone going to get rich from putting ten dollars into a stock probably not it's that's kind of not the point it is uh the ability to have the firsthand active education um, I kind of think about it like learning a language. I remember in high school, I like was a great Spanish student, studied the grammar, memorized the vocab. And then like we went on a trip to Madrid and I was like, what are they saying? And I only did it really click, you know, the, the nuances of the language when you go to where that language is being spoken. And so going back to all kind of the preceding communities around the stock market has been a foreign place for a lot of people. Um, so we really want to create a space where people can get in there and have those conversations, have that firsthand experience. And that's kind of the thing where in the past, where when you needed more wealth to start investing, you did not even have the opportunity to learn early on with even a little amount of money. You were kind of like, so it was the behind financially, but behind just with the education over time. Um, we have so many college students in the app. College students are notoriously broke. Um, but they'll, <laughs> they'll put in some money and they're learning over time. Mm -hmm. So then when they do graduate and get their first job and start really putting more material amounts of money in, they've had all this runway to learn and have firsthand experience. So just giving the access to the educational side of things and access to those conversations, super important and fractional is really what makes that possible. For sure. Again, I think it's probably like my favorite thing about it. Like the social part is really cool, but I yeah. kind of looked at it like this is a really, like, it's such a fantastic way. I think just to learn if you have no idea where yeah. you are, like where you're going. I think that that's like the coolest part about it. Um, so do you have like any last um, thing you want to say, a nugget of wisdom, anything that you kind of want to share with us? I will say, I think a lot of new investors, I think the, the hurdle for a lot of them is, is this idea of confidence and not feeling confidence. Um, 
I had something stuck with me. We do a lot of like workshops with communities. And I always say, I always love feedback. So I'm like, here's my email address. Send me a note. People send great notes. This one woman sent this note and was just like, you know, my entire adult life, I've been looking to my boyfriend and my dad to navigate this stuff for me. I, I didn't even realize I had it in me. And that is like the light bulb moment, I think. Um, there's another anecdote I always talk about with the woman in the app talks about how several years ago, she, she knew a lot of small business owners. She wanted to invest in Shopify. She brought it to her advisor and he was like, eh, I don't really know them. Like it kind of brushed it off and Shopify performed very well mm -hmm. since then. So this is not to say everyone's a financial expert and you're smarter than all financial advisors, but just amp up your confidence a little bit and understand that there's thing, there's knowledge you have based on your background, whether it's nonprofit, education, healthcare, creative, that's valuable knowledge that you can apply. Mm -hmm. And again, when we mix all of those people with the, the, the deep expertise in one place, it's really interesting because you can tap into somebody who works in legal cannabis over here. You can tap into somebody who's a designer and knows maybe Adobe products very well over here. And just kind of having that confidence um, is, is kind of the, the, uh, the point at which people kind of click. So mm -hmm. I would say just, you know, don't be afraid to have some confidence there. And even if you start small, know that uh, a lot of people invest that, you know, don't do this for their full-time job. Um, and, and it's totally okay. And um, this is something that is within reach for you. Yeah, absolutely. So Katie, thank you so much. This has been for like so exciting for me, um, but also I think so helpful. This is a conversation that I love having with people, again, particularly with women, with millennials, with nonprofit professionals. Just like, I, I think that this is like a, like a little volcano of like a financial conversation. And I'm so thrilled that I got to have you on today. Um, so to wrap up, I mean, where can people either find you, find public? How can people yeah. um, sign up for the app? I don't know if this is possible. And I can cut this out if it's like not kosher. Um, like if we could make like a, can make an impact like chat room. So then everyone here, like listening yeah. to the podcast can all like absolutely. chat together. <laughs> yeah, We can absolutely set that up. Um, we will, I can create a link if you want for you Ooh. that people can come in through. That would be um, so And that exciting. way we can add them. We'll certainly do that. And um, we'll follow up with that. But you can find public at public.com on Twitter at public, on Instagram at public hello. I am on Twitter at Katie E. Perry, uh, not to be confused with the one with the blue check mark and millions <laughs> of loyal followers and fans. Um, but yeah, we've, you know, if, like you said, like open community, even if you're just getting started, would love to have you try out the app. You start with a free slice of stock so you can kind of get in there, uh, on us. And again, thank you, Susan. I love this conversation. I love talking about these topics and, uh, really excited that you're in our community and thanks again. Awesome. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Make an Impact podcast. If you enjoyed yourself, would you do a little rate, review, subscribe dance? And if you really enjoyed yourself, would you share this on social media so someone else could catch the impact bug? Until next time, friend, I can't wait to see what kind of impact you make on your world.